Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Shaver, joined by Michael Bruns, Brian Christopherson. Gentlemen, the spring football portion is over. Do you feel comfortable releasing very detailed in-season predictions, game by game, possible leader of rushing at running back, leading receiver on the... Are you ready to make all these predictions? Because that's not what we're going to do today. Ah. We don't have to worry about it at all. We'll save that. For another I time. had a whiteboard right back here with all of my answers filled out ready to go. So I'll just table that for, for maybe closer to fall camp. Really rude by me to send you guys a fake rundown of what we were going to do today. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I didn't think you read it anyways. And now I found out that you actually do. So some uh, people do. Some people do two deeps. I had a four deep ready to go. <laughs> oh, wow. The, the fans are going to have to wait on your four deep coming <laughs> off of that spring game, which I would imagine – you know, a guy like Trevor Lubin has to be fighting for starting time on that four deep after what we saw on Saturday. He's that always. Teams... Oh, <laughs> they both want to talk. They're both fired up. <laughs> go, on, go on about Lubin. Go on. He, he's always <laughs> run. He's historically run well in Memorial Stadium. Yeah. So that, that performance should not have come yeah. as a surprise. No, that should have been part of my uh, predicting who scores in the spring game. I should have included him just for that factoid alone and i think we knew pretty well that there was going to be a lot of uh a lot of younger guys getting in as mark whipple would say so all right let's let's dive into the spring game um game in air quotes if you will uh and we'll just get thoughts right off the bat bc give me give me a takeaway or two you had from just being in the stadium on saturday watching nebraska's two-hand touch in the first half and then uh, a little live period in the second. Um, it was very difficult, of course, to form any sort of evaluation on the offense, and I really didn't. Um, I mean, I, I would say that they, they obviously struggled to block a couple of the rush edge guys. Uh, uh, you know, Garrett Nelson was living in the backfield. And uh, I thought Jamari Butler uh, played well, too. Like, if you're talking about um, – young guys who at the beginning of spring coaches put his name out as like, okay, this is your time to kind of solidify yourself as part of this too deep and you're going to matter. Jamari Butler was one of those guys. And I think he, he backed it up, you know, this spring. Now, I'm not saying he's going to start or anything with Nelson and Caleb Tanner there, but I think he has positioned himself well to uh, if he has a good summer and fall camp to get game reps this year and kind of merge into being an important part of this defense. So I thought he was, if I were to highlight a young guy um, that had a good Saturday and a good spring and it all worked together, it would be him. All right. Brunt, what about you? What stood out? Uh, Anthony Grant. I, I think he was probably the, uh, the offensive MVP for me and 
you know, we talked at, before the, the spring game on the hype cast about how, especially for the skill guys, you were probably just going to be able to see how they looked individually. Like, you know, the, the two hand touch is not the, the best format for getting a good sense of, of what the running game looks like. But I was impressed with Anthony Grant's ability to bounce to the outside. Um, that's what happened on that long run. Uh, he, he's got some speed and a little bit of wiggle and, I would have been a little bit more intrigued to see him um, in, in a situation where he was breaking tackles. Um, certainly, Jack Yant as well. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you do a you know inside zone or something into the line for two yards before you get touched, and that's the play. Like, what what are we doing here? But I, Anthony Grant, I, I think, emerged for me from the spring as you know in that top three group. I, I would put him with Yant and Ramir Johnson um, for, for guys that, that are kind of ahead of the pack there at the running back spot. So he, he stood out the most. Brian's point about the, the rush ends too. I mean, I, I thought that whole group, uh, you know, throwing Blaze Gunnarsson in there as well, um, Caleb Tanner. I thought those guys had a really good day. Um, I, I don't know what that if that's a situation where it says something about the offensive tackles too, but th- those guys were getting around the corner and, and they were being disruptive. And, that's a good sign. I mean, I, I we'll see if they're they're able to do that once the season gets going. But I, I, those guys all flashed at various points to me during the game. Yeah, I I talked with Bud Elliott yesterday at the Cover Three podcast, and he's down there in in Florida State Country, and he asked about Anthony Grant, and is yet another person to reiterate that the coaching staff loved him down there. It just didn't work out, but they they really felt like he was the kind of guy that could be a a a workhorse back for him. And so uh, Anthony Grant, you know, that run he had uh, really kind of helped people envision kind of what he can do, but you're right. I wish that we could have saw him in that live period too, because I, I would like to see kind of how he bounces off the of guys. I, I do think he and Ramir Johnson have really strong kind of leg up on the rest of the field for this other reason. They both can catch passes out of the back. They both can do things as a receiver and I think that's going to be a really valuable part of this offense. So Anthony Grant definitely caught my attention. Uh, I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the ball, even though I do feel like I'm going to say this about a million times before the start of the season. I think Garrett Nelson can be an all big 10 player. I think there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot that backs up kind of his breakout starting in the 2020 season. You get to that Purdue game. They find different ways to use him. They bring him down as a defensive end. And he kind of took off from there. And if you just look at his tackle for loss numbers over, you know, a 15-game stretch there, it's it's really good relative to Nebraska's last 10, 15 years. I mean, it's not Sioux level good, uh, but it's it's really good. I mean, there's there's very few guys that are higher than he is, uh, you know, over a 12-game season, even last year with tackles for a loss over the last 10 years. So I think Garrett Nelson has quietly really made himself a very, very productive player. And I think he's going to have a breakout year. So I want to, I want to get that on record as early as I possibly can. Um, And then I want to say this, I thought AJ Rollins took advantage of opportunity as well as anybody could have. I mean, he had a really nice catch. He and, and Chubba Purdy combined for a really nice play that was almost missing from Nebraska's offense. The last couple of years, like letting your athletic, guys go up and make a play in the air the pass uh if you, if you guys don't remember it was down towards the goal line 
Uh, Purdy floated the ball. You know, it wasn't in in tight coverage, but there was guys around him, and so you needed Rollins to go up. It was it was a 50-50. And he went up and he he secured this ball, and it was like a 26-yard catch. I mean, those are the kind of throws that I don't think Adrian was ever all that comfortable making. Um, and that that kind of limits the athleticism and upside of some of your guys to be able to fight and use their size and use, you know, in AJ Rollins' case, a background of being a rebounder, knowing how to high point a ball, knowing how to be in a crowd of people and winning a with that with that ball. So I don't know what AJ Rollins' 2022 is going to look like, but he certainly put himself in position to take advantage of playing time opportunities if Nebraska is as limited as they were this spring at tight end. And so I, I thought, you know, he had a really nice spring. And I thought Chubba Purdy, actually, for a guy who really only had a week of practice, he played pretty well, too. Um, I don't know uh, if, if we want to dive full into the quarterbacks. I don't know that there's a lot that you can kind of take away from what we saw on Saturday. Um, but I, I don't know that anyone looked poor, I suppose, as, as they went out there and played. I mean, I, I think your top four guys are your top four guys. You could argue somewhat as to who number two is, uh, whether it's Logan Smothers or whether it's Chubba Purdy. Um, again, the way the offensive line played at times, you didn't get a full look at that. But uh, I, I think Nebraska is in a pretty comfortable spot quarterback-wise. What do you guys think on that? Yeah, I I wrote this on the site earlier this week. The guy that I'm eager to kind of see what the trajectory looks like for him you know, where he's at this time next year is Heinrich Harburg. Um, he didn't have the, the green non-contact jersey on during the, the scrimmage. Um, you know, I, I think Mark Whipple's reputation and, and past results as a quarterback developer are interesting for as it pertains to a guy like Harburg, who is big, physical, he's athletic, he's got a big arm. And he was also a guy that, you know, I think everybody acknowledged coming to Nebraska was going to need some polish uh, to, to kind of unlock those, those skills more. So he impressed me on, on a few of the throws that he made. I'm curious to see where that continues to go. Um, and, and I agree with you. I, I think it was tough to get a good read on, um, you know, kind of what the quarterbacks looked like. Obviously Casey Thompson's day was extremely short. Uh, Chubba Purdy really hadn't practiced much at all this spring, but I, I think, you know, maybe my one takeaway from that group is I, I'm intrigued to see how that battle for the number two spot looks with Chubba Purdy fully healthy and going through fall camp versus Logan Smothers has been around and is still kind of, I, I think, adjusting to an offense that maybe isn't the perfect perfect set for him. So um, that that's, you know, maybe the setting the table, I guess, for fall camp is, is who's going to emerge at that number two spot, but I am, I am intrigued by still Heinrich, Har Heinrich Harburg's long-term potential in that offense with Mark Whipple. What did you see from the QBs, BC? Yeah, uh, Brunt's laid it out pretty good, so I won't use a lot of words on it. I do think it, you know, if anybody pushed himself a half step ahead, uh, at least in the public eye, it was maybe Chubba Purdy Saturday. Cause I thought he threw maybe two or three of the nicest passes uh, but I also don't think and we can go back to the Mark Whipple quote that we enjoyed like, you know, two thirds of the way through spring. I, I don't think the coaches are going to be, haven't been sitting looking at that tape over and over again. I think maybe they ran through it once or twice and, uh, it's moving on to other things. So 
Um, that that scrimmage, I think, was a lot about here's the stadium, sort of a dress rehearsal of what it looks like on a game day for 100 recruits packed on the sideline. And that is going to decide if that spring game was a winner or a loser, how Nebraska fares over the weeks and months ahead uh, from that event. And I know we'll get into more of that. But as far as the QBs, I, yeah, I, it didn't change anything I thought about anybody really uh, on Saturday. The only thing offensive related that I thought popped up the last week to me that is really interesting is sort of the Trent Hickson storyline at center and him. Um, I think being a legit contender for that job and possibly if he is meaning Turner Corcoran could come back at right tackle and Teddy Prohaska could come back at left tackle if everybody's healthy. And then you sort of have your line figured out from that standpoint. I think Hickson's a real player in this thing. And uh, I think, uh, you were kind of hearing that behind the scenes throughout the spring. And then in the last week, and especially like Saturday, it felt like that picked up even more. There was a, a conversation happening after that game, because I think fans were expecting more than what they received from Saturday's spring game, uh, which leads to, to this. I mean, do you, do you think Nebraska has an obligation – to make the spring game more of an event uh, than what it actually is, which is just the 15th and final practice for a football team and their, their spring workout portion. Uh, we know in the past, Nebraska has really done this thing big. And this year it really felt more than almost any other that people were just invited in to watch a practice in which they use the, the full jerseys and helmets and had a scoring system. So I, I, I'm curious where you guys come in on that. I mean, I, I have my thoughts on it, but I'm, I, I would like to know, do you, do you think it, Nebraska has an obligation to, to try to make this more of an event than they did on Saturday, Brunts? Well, I, I mean, there's competing interests, right? I mean, on the one hand, you know, the, the football program wants that, the, that event to be big. They want the, the stands full uh, as a recruiting tool. I mean, that, that's what really sets it apart. On the other hand, as, as Mark Whipple said very eloquently, it, it, I mean, it's a practice. I mean, and, and they treated it like that. They, they've learned probably more from the closed scrimmages that they had. Um, I think you have to find a way to balance the two things somehow because, you know, I, I think it is important for – you see a lot of kids in the stands that don't normally go to games during the season. You, you hear a lot of people say, oh, that was the first time that, you know, this family member or that family member was in the stadium. And, and that's cool. Like that's a, a cool thing to do, but you know, I, I do think that there probably is a little bit of um, you, I think as a fan, you'd like to see a little bit more than, than what you saw. Maybe, maybe what you would uh, would have gotten like 10, 15 years ago with, with Jamal Turner somersaulting into the end zone and you know, Zach, Zach Taylor putting up huge numbers um, in, in his first spring game. But it's tough too. I mean, it, the the depth concerns that Nebraska had were legitimate. I mean, they, they had very few tight ends. The defensive line group was really thin. So I, I don't know what the perfect answer is, but I, I think that Nebraska will continue to try to do that event as big as they can. And I think they should. I mean, it it's an event that sets Nebraska apart from other schools. I, I think you just have to get a little bit creative with how you continue to capture people's attention when you're basically playing two hand touch in the first half 
You don't really do a ton at halftime. And, uh, you know, certainly there, there seemed to be buzz um, lacking significantly after the uh, – basically after the tunnel walk. It just seemed like it was just, uh, just a, a, a slow slow burn after that. What do you think, Brian? I think um, if you're not going to go with a like actual sort of spring game feel where it, it feels like this is actually a competition between red and white, like we used to know like 10 or 20 years ago, I would sort of be a fan of just a, a normal practice setup um, and letting fans in to see that, you know, and maybe that includes some seven on seven work and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, you think of last year when they allowed the media in for one of the middle spring practices and we sat in the stadium, something like that where people can see it. They don't have to give away the farm about, you know, what their their plays are and stuff like that. They could keep it all very basic. But maybe if you advertise it more of this is what a normal practice looks like from start to finish and you're going to see it. I think there could be some appeal to that. And people, if they knew that going in, that this isn't a game, this is just, this is what we do behind the curtain exactly like this. Um, And you saw that. I I think that could be effective. So I guess what I'm saying is I think they're trying to still blend the two kind of where it's like kind of has this thing, look of a game and stuff like that. And maybe you just either you go all the way with that or you don't go there at all. And, uh, and you, uh, you keep it pretty standard to your normal practice routine. Yeah. I, I'm kind of a, of the mindset sort of where Brunts is at, where it's it's two competing interests because you you want to make it entertaining and yet it's still very much a practice. And I also think with the transfer portal and where depth is going to sit most years, it's going to be really hard to justify going two really strong live periods or splitting a team up that way. And so I uh, I'm wondering if we're not sort of seeing a, a shift in what's going to happen with spring football. I, I really felt like if they would have done a seven on seven of Casey Thompson versus Logan Smothers and that kind of thing early on, instead of the two hand touch, I think that would have been more enjoyable um, for, for fans to, to kind of watch that. It would have been maybe a little bit more competitive too, in terms of, of, you know, watching two different groups, try to go back and forth instead of just the same offense and the, and the same defense, obviously different players, mixed in and out. But I, I do think there's different ways they can freshen that up. But at the end of the day, they they always want to use this as a recruiting event. They always want to use this as an event to kind of, you know, sell the the atmosphere of the stadium and, and the environment and the fans. And here's the thing. I would have graded this amongst the most boring spring games in the history of spring games. And yet every recruit enjoyed it. Why did they enjoy it? Because it's different than what they're used to, because it was a day that was really good weather and they got to hang out with other recruits and spend time with the staff. And they're blown away that even 50,000 people would show up to go to a spring game, even if that number doesn't seem very high relative to other years. I I just think that, you know, Nebraska's in a really enviable situation where they have an opportunity. They can kind of shape it how they want. But for the most part, recruits are going to, to end up enjoying that experience because it's just usually been a good weather day and it's usually been uh, a day in which you can kind of highlight, you know, your staff and your players and everything else and your fan base. And so um, I I think they just kind of can keep tinkering with it a little bit and they can kind of split the baby, uh, you know, if you will. I I also, 
the, the older I get, the more, the more I think that there's potential in looking into say like a combined practice with another program. Like you, you do scrimmages in the off season in baseball. You do the secret scrimmages in basketball against other schools. You I go to Italy. I'm, I'm sure that there would be some pushback from coaches that, you know, or maybe don't want to have a, a, a game televised in the spring, but I mean, if you if you brought like South Dakota down and you were able to do a limited type game scrimmage type setup with a, with a team like that, I think there would be immense value for both sides and something like that. And the fact that they're able to do it in other sport, I mean, it, I know it's different with football. I get that, but I mean, if if you just basically said these are the you know, 85 guys or whatever that we're going to roll with, even if they're walk-ons and third and fourth string guys, let, let them do it. Um, you know, I, I think that, that, that there is some value in, in the NCA looking at something like that. I agree. I definitely agree. Brunch, you said you had a question for us that you wanted to dive into. As we sit here on April 13th, what do you guys, what is one thing that you feel differently about right now than you did at the start of spring practices on February what 28th, I think was when they started. What, what position player coach um, give me your four deep. I, I don't know, whatever. What, what do you feel differently about now than you did uh, six, six, seven weeks ago? Uh, from a positive aspect, the running backs. Yeah. I guess like at the start of spring, I would have said, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what they have and, and maybe I'm, I'm jumping the gun, but I feel like Brian Applewhite is going to have a, a pretty good committee. I don't know if for sure if they're going to have that guy who just uh, completely separates from the pack or not, but I do think between what Anthony Grant did and the way Jacquez Yant changed his body and if he keeps that up over the summer and comes back to fall camp looking the same way, with Ramir, and then you throw in the wild cards like, you know, A.J. Allen <clears throat> and Emmett Johnson, who people forget about, but I talked to him the other day, and he's incredibly motivated to come here and show that, you know, he can ball too. Um, I think they'll have a nice package at that position, and it's going to – and I, I like what I've heard from Applewhite and just like how he goes about his business. It seems like to me that's been a hire that people haven't talked as much about on the offensive staff. And there were a lot of little kind of trinkets you'd pick up across the spring that made me feel pretty good about that selection of, as him running that position. Yeah, I feel better about just how this offense is going to operate and look. I mean, there was a wholesale change this offseason. And you brought in a different offensive coordinator than, than what Scott Frost has run in the past. Scott Frost has to cede some of his overall control. You have a different running backs coach, a different wide receivers coach, a different offensive line coach, and a different quarterbacks coach. And, you know, the spring game wasn't able to make it look the most cohesive thing in the world. But I feel pretty good about almost every part of their offense. Like, I – I think they have guys that are running back and wide receiver and in a way that I didn't necessarily think they had two years ago. I think that they have quarterback options that I'm going to be pretty comfortable with in an offense that it seems like it's going to fit uh, what they want to do. Tight end is a little bit scary because they didn't practice much this spring with your top guys and Thomas Fedoni's status remains very much in question. 
Um, but I, I still feel good about the depth there. And then even the offensive line, you can squint and turn your head a little bit and you can, you can make it look a little better than certainly what it did last year. I don't know that it's, it's going to be a huge jump, but certainly the way that it was talked about and, you know, when they, they did the live period, they looked better than when it was, uh, when it was the, um, the two-hand touch. Now, some of that is Nebraska's defensive line, and, and I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit too. But I, I just feel better about the direction of that offense in general, considering what a giant question mark it was after everything got blown up in November and all those hires were made in December and January. Yeah, I for me, I, I, I think I feel better about the linebackers. I mean, I think the, I think the secondary was going to be able to reload, and I like the guys that they brought in. But, you know, the, the, the front seven is a huge question mark. And I, I think coming out of the, the spring game, I feel better about the outside linebackers. I really like the depth that they have at, at inside backer. I mean, you didn't have Luke Reimer in there uh, this spring, but he's obviously shown what he can do. Nick Henrik. I really liked what I saw from Ernest Hausman. Like, I, I really think that he's going to be a guy that, that is going to be impactful on special teams. Um and I, th- I think that linebacker group should be better than they were a year ago, even though it's largely the, the same cast of characters. I, I think that's a, a group that's trending up. For me, coming out of spring, I still have significant concerns about the defensive line, probably more so than I did uh, at the start of spring. Um, when you've heard Mike Dawson be very frank about where things stand, um, when you just see the team that that group go through warmups and there's so few guys there that that's a concern and we still haven't hit that second wave of the transfer portal where you may have some guys looking to move on it feels like there's a heck of a lot of eggs in the Oshawn Mathis uh, basket right now um, with, with that decision coming uh, before the, the the turn of the month and Nebraska's going to have to go get other guys in the portal. And, and that's, as you know, an, an elbows out position where you're going to be recruiting against a lot of people for the top impactful guys. So <laughs> I, I guess it, it's kind of like divergent things here with the front seven where I feel pretty, pretty okay with the linebackers at defensive line. Uh, they're going to need, need to do some work in the offseason. So what you're saying is you feel better about the back seven than you do the front four. Yes. Yeah. If you, if you want to look at it that way, that that's more of a, a glass half full. Um, if you kind of switch the glasses, I guess. Do you even, do you even feel better? Like, cause some of it is Nebraska is going to play some of these guys as defensive ends. Like do, maybe you feel better about nine than you do too. Yeah. Yeah. That could be. I mean, it's that I'm just, I'm really, I'm really trying to make you feel positive now. It's, it's true though. I mean, I, I think that you might have to have <sighs> Garrett Nelson out there on the edge. Um, just to, to kind of bolt up Tanner or, yeah. or Blaze Gunnerson or whoever, yeah. like that, that you're going to have to get creative with some of your fronts, I think, to, to mask the fact that you just don't have the, the numbers there. I, I do think that, you know, we've talked about Eric Shenander and this defense and kind of what he's done since he's been here. I think that he is as versatile of a coordinator as I've seen Nebraska have for a defensive coordinator. Like he's willing to try different stuff. He's willing to run different packages. They're they're comfortable staying in base for an entire game if they feel like that's the way they need to go, or they can put together a sub pack. I just 
I, I do think that for the concern I have with the defensive line, Eric Shenander has earned my trust in the fact that he's done a pretty good job filling out Nebraska's defense, <clears throat> minimizing the the weaknesses. Like they they and they have been there. Like they're they're not you know a top twenty defensive unit, but he does a really nice job of getting the most out of his guys and not putting them in situations where it's going to be an obvious failure. And I I do think he deserves a lot of credit. You know where this defense could really even things out, too, is last year's defense was good. And, um, you know, that performance, like in the second half against Michigan State, was stellar. But the one thing that they lacked was I didn't think they were an opportunistic defense. And if you look at the takeaways, um, didn't rate very high on those. If you look at the sack total, which Garrett Nelson, and if you hear Blaze Gunnarsson talk about, they, they really have been driving that nail in there. It's like, we need one more sack a game. <clears throat> they only averaged 1.67, I think, last year. And if they upped it a sack a game, that would put them like in the top 40 even. That's how low they were. Um, they were like 100th, basically, in, in sacks per game. So I think if this defense found some a pass rushing presence from those edge guys and had the knack in the back end to just, when you get your hands on a football, it's yours and you take advantage. I mean, think of that Oklahoma game last year, like those first drives and how, I mean, that first possession, what were there like three or four times Nebraska had their hands on the football and they couldn't come away with it. I mean, you make that play, maybe you win that game. Who knows? I mean, it's that type of stuff where, I could see this group giving up some more real estate, but if you can even it out with some specific statistics, which Garrett Nelson is speaking about, I think you could, it could be a a solid group, but Bruns is exactly right. I mean, the defensive line, I was worried about it since December and that hasn't changed at all. And it's not just about getting O'Shawn Mathis at this point. I think, They might need two or three bodies, you know, from the portal on the D line. And then you need Casey Rogers to be healthy. You know, that's a big if still, I don't know what his status is really. Um, You know, they're, they're optimistic. They're going to get a lot of these guys back, but there's specific cases like Casey where I don't know for sure when that's going to happen. And uh, they need him. Like if you told me right now, Casey Rogers and Ty Robinson are going to be there all year and they're going to play all 12, 13 games. I'd feel pretty a lot better about what the defensive line can be, but that's a big if to count on not having any injuries or having those type of guys available for the whole year. And that's where I'm, I'm quite worried about that, that group and like who's behind them. Yeah. I think that that fear and that concern is, is very well founded and, they only can take so many guys out of the portal and they haven't even yeah. landed a defensive lineman yet. And so that's, right. that's part of it. If, if you're saying they need two to three bodies, I think they only have three spots left. And so, uh, and I don't know that they want to use them all on the defensive line. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. He is far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming.
exclusively on Paramount Plus. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. Let's uh, let's use this as an opportunity to transition over to Oshan Mathis, who was in town. Uh, by all counts, the visit went well. He's setting up to make a decision later in the month. He was the biggest visitor there, but the fanfare of Dylan Rayola is is just going to be like a. I mean, it. I don't even know if it's sort of taking that entire Calabasas group and sticking it into one player. But Nebraska fans are going to know all about Dylan Rayola. And he was out there signing babies and everything on Saturday. I mean, it it's going to be fascinating because he's going to be a fixture here. They're going to be up here four or five times to watch games this fall. I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting how that weighs out with what we see for crystal balls elsewhere around the country and Seemingly every analyst at 24-7 Sports thinking he's going to end up somewhere else. Um, I I think the Dylan Rayola recruitment is just going to be really fascinating. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of see where that whole thing goes. I think it blows people's minds sometimes what the connection to Nebraska football can mean. And I think you're going to see a lot of outside people who don't give Nebraska a chance on that one because they're like, how the heck can that happen, you know, with what's been going on, even with his uncle coaching there? I mean, he's got this offer and that offer. How do you not go after that shiny object? And yet, I think you've said this before, Schaefer, and I completely agree. I think if Nebraska can get like seven or eight wins this year. Seven's the number. And Casey Thompson looks pretty good. I think Nebraska is going to be hard to beat. I do. I just think that family is so drawn to this program. It means so much uh, to Dylan's dad. And uh, I think to Dylan, too. And obviously, you know, having having your uncle coach on staff, and if that offense is going in part because his O-line is rolling along, um, <laughs> I I don't count Nebraska out out at all. But it's now – that's a true case of produce on the field and then – reap the benefits recruiting wise. And it's, it's true beyond Dylan Rayola too. I mean, they had 20 plus recruits on campus that had offers in the, the 2023 and 2024 classes plus guys already out in 2025. You had a dozen or more four stars that were on campus and they're doing that for the spring game. And you're, you're really trying to build out your reputation, but if Nebraska could just win games, I mean, they do a nice job recruiting when they're, they're able to get out and, and evaluate when they're able to have recruits come to campus. They just have to win games in the fall. And and it's one of those that I think is almost annoying to people at this point, because it's, it's just like 
the simplest thing or the thing that you most expected from Nebraska growing up if you were a fan here is that they could go win games. It was how do you compete with all these other programs that have so much more talent? Well, now you can you can access this talent, but you can't seem to win the games against teams that you're supposed to beat. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But the recruiting weekend in general, I mean, I don't have a lot to run down. I thought that there was some really interesting 2024 guys that were there that Nebraska offered. Uh, you know, I've been hearing from some of the 2023s. Braden Marshall, again, another defensive back that Travis Fisher likes quite a bit. He's going to be back out here, I suspect, for an official visit. Joshua Horton, I've been messaging with a little bit this morning. Uh, sounds like the visit went really well. He really likes Mike Dawson. That's a name to keep in mind. That's a defensive lineman from Georgia, I believe. Um, like I said, there's a handful of guys that I think it went really well for. And there's there's a bunch of guys where I, I think overall the visit was great. And so um, some of it is they have some – Mickey Joseph is going to be known for wide receivers, but he can recruit every position. I mean, he's involved in getting Curly Reed, a top 247 defensive back to come out, and Keon Freeman, a defensive lineman, and linebackers from Louisiana and guys of that nature. I mean, I just think that – they just have between him and Bill Bush a couple guys that are capable of recruiting any position that's going to make it a little bit easier uh, if you have some guys that maybe aren't as strong recruiters. So we'll see how that all plays out. Brock Newton, the other thing I wanted to get in, picked up an offer, 2023 offensive lineman from Scott's Bluff. It's going to end in a Nebraska commitment. It's just a matter of, of when. Um, you know, he – he basically said that he has other visits that have been previously scheduled that he's going to honor those. Uh, and then he'll make a decision. He thinks either before his senior year or during his senior year. So I would imagine he'll be committed by the end of June. I'm going to go ahead and, and throw that one out there. So we'll, we'll see if I'm right or wrong on that. You guys can hold me to it. Brunch, you got anything you want to throw in on recruiting? No, I mean, I, I think it was just the sheer volume of recruits on the sidelines. Um, you know, between the the guys that are, you know, 23, 24, 25s, plus the, the large group of 2022s who are already signed. I mean, you had over 100, 100 recruits. And I, I don't know that that really registers with people how big of a, a weekend that is until you see everybody on the sidelines. I mean, it was packed. And, you know, you had a huge group from Georgia, you know, a lot of guys from Louisiana. I think they've done a pretty good job. Uh, of recruiting in the 500 mile radius, you know, there's still a ton of work to do in Kansas city um, for, for the staff that, that's that, that in St. Louis have been, you know, two of the, the bigger head scratchers for a long time, but you're starting to see more visits from Kansas city and you're starting to see a little bit of the return on the work there. I'm, I'm eager to see what happens when Nebraska's coaches can get out on the road and, and maybe kind of try to continue the momentum uh, next week this past weekend, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where the commits fall, but, you know, when you start kind of going through the list and the, the, the pedigree of a lot of the guys who are here, um, you know, I, I think it, uh, that definitely does not line up with a team that's coming off of a three and nine season. BC, you talked with William Watson, the third or pops Watson. Did you call him pops or did you call him William? <laughs> uh, I called him William. Um, it was, uh, via, uh, to be clear, it was via a, a message exchange, which I appreciate this to, to, to show you how uh, the sausage gets made sometimes. He called me back, actually, and uh, we had a bad phone connection because he was at school. Mm. And he's like, I can answer him. 
And uh, you know how that goes, Schaefer. You can sometimes send a list of questions or something, and like uh, you might not get anything back. I sent like seven or eight questions to William Watson, and this says something about him. He went through and answered every one of those questions in like a paragraph format, <laughs> and it was good. And uh, he, it's on our site. People can read it. He was very good, and it was very uh, well thought out. And he told me afterwards that felt like a school assignment. And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But uh, I, because of sort of the way that seems like a small thing to someone listening, but I, that's, I was impressed by even that. Like this guy who takes the time to like answer all these questions, think them through. And uh, peer recruiting is very big deal to him. And, uh, he said his my main thing is winning. So I want to be around guys who want to win and that I think are going to help us win. And so, of course, I'm going to go all out after that. Um, and I just think, you know, the connection he has with Mark Whipple um, through, of course, Whipple was looking at him when Whipple was at Pitt. And whatever people want, you know, everybody always has some drive-by analysis of quarterbacks and like, oh, what, how's this film look and that big takes. But I think you do have to give some respect and, uh, you know, hope to the idea that Mark Whipple, who's been doing this for a long time, hopefully knows what he's doing when he's looking for a quarterback. And obviously he really likes what he sees in William Watson and the potential there. I can see why he likes him just as far as a leader and just like, you know, a guy who kind of checks all those boxes, as we say all the time about being a quarterback, because you can already tell that he's got those attributes. Yeah, I, I was just curious if you had a chance to actually talk with him or if you messaged with him. And, and I mean, I've done both, and I, have like you, was impressed because when I've sent messages, I've gotten long, thought-out responses. I mean, he's a very thorough guy. Brunt's is shaking his head. He's not, you guys he's not used up. to that life. He's he's busy enough. Why are you guys giving him school assignments? <laughs> it's not like we're putting deadlines on it. <laughs> I did tell him to answer. I told him answer whatever you want out of these. I didn't I didn't say you had to give, give them all, but he did. Huh. So, I mean – I like I, I'm a big William Watson the third fans. I'll call him Pops, whatever right now. If, and when he gives uh interviews and answers like that. Yeah, I still haven't uh I don't know. I might just be too formal. I'm I, I don't know that I can do the Pops thing. I'm not a big nickname guy if I don't feel like I know the person. You know you just like, call him Mr. Watson. <laughs> I, I might. I might. It might feel more comfortable to me. Wasn't Louis uh, Armstrong Pops? Didn't they call Louis Armstrong Pops? I don't anyway, know. Chad, we don't have to get into a discussion about <laughs> jazz music. All right, Brunch, do you want to look this up? Do you want me to look this uh, up? That's all right. Just carry, carry on. Louis Armstrong. I'm Googling right now. You don't have to do that. I think at the beginning of It's a Wonderful World, he's like, yeah, Pops. Like they, He talks about what they call him and stuff, but I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, that was a nickname for him. You're, that is correct. That is the kind of knowledge that BC brings, and then he can pass along to his recruits in his class. So, uh, that's just you know what we what we're getting here. Anything you guys want to finish up with here as we close things out? I don't. I don't know that I can do better than that. There's also a, a biography of Louis Armstrong called Pops. So, yep, there you go. Probably pretty good. Um, I don't know. I the last thing. And thinking about where guys came from to visit this weekend, there were some Texas guys. And uh, I just think, I think Texas uh, and Missouri are kind of wild card spots in this class where I'm not saying to project a 
they're going to get a ton of guys, but if they could pluck one or two uh, that they really want out of each of those and kind of get that ball rolling, uh, that would be big. They have Mickey recruiting some in Missouri. I know Brian Applewhite's got some good Texas links and Vince Ginta is a guy who uh, knows that area well too, you know, he having recently been at Baylor. So those are two states that are sort of on my radar as far as maybe, maybe we see something there that we haven't in recent classes. All right. Excellent. Well, if you are looking for more coverage on recruiting, if you're looking for more thoughts on the spring game, if you want to know about Nebraska baseball, you can go to Husker 24 seven. We have all of that covered. We even have basketball coverage when stuff happens from time to time. So you can find everything about Nebraska at Husker 24 seven Spring football might have stopped, but the content will roll along at Husker 24-7. We'll have another podcast next week. We'll catch you then. New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent Island, they got here. Walk to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.